Pastor Eric left me six chapters of Genesis to cover today. So we're going to jump right in it because we don't want to miss anything. But this is, I got to tell you something though. You know, sometimes you go to a, a movie that was originally a book and the movie tries to hit the highlights and you always come out saying it's not as good as the book. It's not as good as the book. <laughs> I encourage you. Uh, 37 through 450 of Genesis, take time to read it. Take time to let it, let it speak to you and your soul as you, as you have devotions. And, and there's so much we've left out, but, but we've tried to hit the highlights. And Pastor Eric was hitting the highlight last week where, he, where the, the famine had hit. You remember there, Joseph had predicted seven years of bounty followed by seven years of famine. And the famine had hit, it was two years into the famine. When lo and behold, here at Joseph's door, his brothers show up. They don't recognize Joseph. He would have looked like an Egyptian, he would have spoke like an Egyptian, and he would have walked like, <laughs> yeah. He would have walked like an Egyptian, yes. And so they didn't recognize him, and, and so Joseph, in trying to figure out what was going on here and dealing with his own heart, was trying to play some cat and mouse games, as, as Eric told you last week. And, and so he, he, first of all, he, he sent him home and he says, you can come go home, but when you come back again, you got to bring your younger brother. You have a younger brother, you got to bring him or else don't, you won't even bother seeing me. Don't even bother showing up if you don't bring your younger brother. So they go back home, they tell their father and, and eventually the grain that they took runs out. And so they, they head back, and, but they're getting ready to head back and they're telling him, we got to take Benjamin with us. Benjamin was his youngest son. Benjamin was the only other son who was born besides Joseph of his beloved wife, Rachel. He said, I can't do that. I can't lose my other son, the son that I love. Judah stepped up and says, I guarantee, I guarantee I'll bring him back. It's on me if he doesn't come back. And so eventually he makes the decision, we either starve to death or I risk. And so he risked. And he sent his son, along with his other sons, Benjamin, along with the other sons, down to Egypt. Joseph meets them. He gives them grain again. And Eric talked a bit about some of that last week and the, the interaction between the, this, this, this family. But what Joseph does, and he's playing these games, really, to test his brothers a bit, to find out a little bit about their character. He takes his silver cup, the cup that, that uh, he would use... And, he placed it or had one of his servants place it in the bag of grain that he gave to his brother, Benjamin. He says, place it in there. And then when they take off to go back home, run after him and say, someone stole my master's silver cup. And why would you do that to me? That's what happened. And so they are on their way back to their father, Jacob. And Joseph's servants come up and they come up and they say, Let, someone stole our master's silver cup. Why would you do that? And they said, no, 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 we don't steal. In fact, if anybody stole that, you can kill them and the rest of us will be your servants. They start going through the bags from the oldest to the youngest. They get to the last. They open up and lo and behold in that bag is Joseph's silver cup. Fortunately, Joseph's servant says, no, we're not going to take anybody's life, and you don't all have to suffer, but the one where we find the cup is our servant, is a slave, must come back. That's the youngest one, the one that Judah had promised, guaranteed, would return. And so he, he, 
they, they argue and they, they, they finally say, no, we're all going back. So they all go back. And they are approached by Joseph. Joseph says, why would you do this to me? And, and you see this tension within the family. And it finally, finally, it is Judah who 22 years ago had a chance to defend his younger brother Joseph. 22 years earlier, it had a chance to stand up and be a man. Finally has the fortitude, the guts to stand up to the man running Egypt and saying, this can't happen. He says, this will kill my dad. He cannot handle this. He, twice he mentions the other brother that was lost. He says, I, I can't do it. I, I can't go back. If, if he doesn't go, I don't go. So how about a trade? I'll trade you. I will substitute myself for my brother. I will be a slave if my brother's let go. And it's at that point where Joseph finally sees the change in Judah's heart. He finally sees for certain the transformation that has come upon his brothers. And we come to the, one of the highlights, the greatest moments in the Old Testament. And it's in chapter 45, verse 1. It goes like this. Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard it. I can imagine, can you imagine if you were one of the brothers and you're sitting in there and you're going, what is going on here? You got, I would start to wonder if this guy's got all of his marbles. You know, he's been playing these games with us. He's, he's cried here and there. He's had to leave. And now he's crying again. And I said, is this what it takes? Is this what a leader in Egypt is like? <laughs> it's confusing. Wondering what's going on. He's accused of being spies. He's put him in prison. Simeon spent the first trip in prison, the one brother. As security for them to return. This, is, this guy's not playing with a full deck. Or at least he seems to be very angry at us. Finally, the moment arrives. Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. You know, it was told he sent everybody out. That would have included the translators. In fact, we were told back in Genesis chapter 42 that he was communicating with his brothers through translators. So he would have been speaking the Egyptian language of the day. They would have been translating it for him into Hebrew. But this is the first time they hear his brother, Joseph, speak to them in Hebrew. I am Joseph. I am Joseph. I can imagine if I'm there. Oh, is this a joke? Is this for real? Are you kidding me? Then he says this, is my father still living? Strange question, because Judah had just explained to him that uh, I can't go back to your father, or my father, I can't go back to him, I, because he, he'll die if we don't bring Benjamin. And he's, they've talked over and over about their father. But it seems like he still has a lack of trust. He still wants to know, are you really, was this just a story to get out of this? Were you just trying to, you know, lie your way out of a situation here? And so he says, is my father still living? Is the story you're telling me true? The next verse, or the end of verse three there says this though, but his brothers were not able to answer him. 
because they were terrified at his presence. They're thinking, we are toast. <laughs> we are in serious trouble. If this really is Joseph, and I can imagine what is going through their minds at this time. The dream from chapter 37 that they did not believe, they are now standing in the fulfillment of that dream. They are, they are recognizing that what God shared to Joseph was true. And they are terrified, terrified so much that the cat's got their tongue. <laughs> they can't say a word. They can't say a word. But they really had nothing to worry about because Joseph, who started this forgiveness process last week, who, who started to feel like I, this burden, this power over him needed to be released as he hears Judah, as he hears this, the heart of his brothers, that, that forgiveness becomes complete. And there's no reason for him to worry. In fact, he goes on in verse 4 and says this, comes, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. That come, clo that come close to me is really, it's more than just come here. It's, it's come here. Come here. Come, come, come close. Let, let me hug you. Let me, let me embrace you. Come close to me. He says, then when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one who sold, you sold into Egypt. So we find again that Joseph never really forgot. He knew, and he was letting his brothers know, even in this time, you don't need to be afraid, but yes, I remember. I remember what happened. I can imagine them at this time. I, if, if it's me, I'm saying, okay, I get it. You're Joseph. We're who we are. <laughs> but how did this all happen? How did you go from a youngest, next to youngest shepherd boy, Hebrew, to the man running Egypt. How does that happen? How does it happen that the man we are coming to to save our lives is the most powerful man in Egypt, except for Pharaoh? But he goes on, Joseph, and says, Now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. This is really the first indication that we have that God was behind this from the beginning. Now we've read that God was with Joseph and everybody that ran into Joseph seemed to recognize that God was with him. Potiphar. Wow, God's with that guy. He moved him up. The jailer, he immediately recognized that God was with Joseph and he promoted him within, within the prison. Pharaoh recognized God was with this man. But this is the first time that we see that God was with this from the beginning because he says, God sent me. God sent me ahead of you. It was his idea from the beginning. And then he goes on and says this in verse 6. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing, no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verses 5 and 7. Joseph says, God sent me to save lives. We don't see that God ever came to him and said... This was all my plan from the beginning, but 
Joseph's smart enough to kind of put two and two together, I think. If everybody else could see God's working in Joseph's life, I think Joseph at some time looked around and said, I think God's doing something here. What's God up to? Seems like God has put me here to save lives. And that's what he tells his brother. And he says, in fact, he's brought you to me as a remnant. Now, a remnant is a special word in the scripture, and it's used all through the Bible. But in, in, a, in a case of a physical remnant, it kind of just means leftovers. <laughs> you're the leftovers. You're the, mis- you're, the, you're, the, you're the survivors of a catastrophe. And you're here. And God has you here for a purpose. He goes on in verse 8. He tells him, don't beat up yourself. He says this, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh or advisor to Pharaoh. Lord of the entire household and ruler over all Egypt. It's not you, but it's God. You see, I don't know when in these last 22 years from the time Joseph was sent down into Egypt until two years into the famine when he's meeting with his brothers. I don't know at what point he started to realize that God was behind this. Not just that God was with him, but that God had directed and that God had provided and that God had intervened. I don't know what point in time it was, but at some point what he's telling his brothers is this, is when it all goes wrong, God is still working. When it all goes wrong, God is still working. You see, the mega theme, the mega theme of this story of Joseph, the mega theme of of Genesis 37 to 50 is that God is in control. We just finished up a control series. But this mega theme is God is in control. He is sovereign, which means he is omniscient. He's all, he, he knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is in control. He will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And Joseph says, God has been in control the whole time. He's never been out of control. And right now we see the curtain being pulled back. You know, God, God pulls back the curtain. We can see behind the scenes just a little bit. And behind the scenes we see God working. We see God working in the, hand of, in the life of Joseph. We were at uh, our conference, our, our denomination's uh, annual meetings this past week. We call them yearly meetings. It's, it's all of the evangelical friends in the eastern region. We were together. And we were in our service or getting ready for our um, business on, on Tuesday morning. And our mo- morning devotions was a speaker. His name was Art Hallett. Art is um, a pastor and very... Um, outgoing, uh, vivacious individual. And he was telling us, and he was, he was preaching, and he says something along the line. He's talking about God. He says, you know what God's, God's job description is? He says, God has a job description. You know what it is? We're all there, okay, what is it? He goes, God's job description is to run things. <laughs> to run things. God runs things. He said, the thing is about it, when God runs things, you know, he's got things under control. When God runs things, we may question God. We may wonder why things happen. But Joseph is saying, while God, when all goes wrong, God is still working. God has been running this all along. It's been God that's been directing Potiphar. It's been God that's directing the trailer. It's been God that's directing those dreams. It's been God that, sent, that, that had you send me to Egypt. It's been God all along the way. And then he says this, verse 9. Now hurry back to my father. Say to him, this is what your son says. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. He says, go get dad. Go get dad. And the scripture says, then they, they spent some 
time just talking freely. They kind of kicked back and they had a family reunion without dad. Talked about what had been going on probably over the last years, how Joseph got into that position. But you can imagine what Jacob's reaction would have been, right? Complete, completely stunned. The Bible tells us he was stunned. I remember, I'd, Sheila and I had moved up here, been here about nine months, and it was one afternoon I had gotten home and I'd kicked off my shoes and was sitting, had the news on TV, and or news was coming up. And all of a sudden I see the, the news coming across the, the TV or interrupted that um, Amanda Berry, Michelle Knight, Gina de Jesus was found after 10 years. I remember, although we live south of here, we still got the Cleveland news in our area. And so I remember Amanda Berry going missing. And for 10 years to go by, and just to assume the worst, which is what we tend to do, is assume the worst. And I think of my shock and watching that and just can't get enough. What's happening? How did they get out? What was it like? I can imagine being a parent. I can imagine being Jacob. My son's alive? My son's alive. I also imagine the boys had some explaining to do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Got some explaining to do. So Jacob packs up, starts heading to Egypt, stops at Beersheba, offers some sacrifices to God, and then as we say, God shows up. And as important, as dramatic as that reunion between Joseph and his brothers was, what God has to say here, I think speaks to us today in a powerful way, in the same way it spoke to Jacob, to Joseph, and to his brothers. He starts off in verse 2, he says this, chapter 46, God spoke to Israel in a vision at night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, here am I, he replied. Finally, do you realize, finally, in this whole narrative, this is the first time we hear from God. God has been working behind the scenes. He's been the director, but he's not been on stage. And finally, God steps out. He says, Jacob, I have something to tell you. And he pulls back the curtain a little more, and he shows us things that even Joseph probably didn't fully understand. He says this, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now that's interesting because Abraham, who had received the promise of the great nation, had gone down into Egypt and things did not go well when he went to Egypt. And he had gone down to Egypt because of a, of a famine. In fact, his father, Isaac, was going to go to Egypt, and God says, don't go to Egypt. <laughs> so now here, Jake is being told to go to Egypt, and he's got, so he's sacrificing to God. He says, God, is this really what I should do? Are you sure about this? I'm going to leave the land you promised. I'm going to go into a strange land. Are you sure? God comes, and he says, yes, go. I'll I go down to Egypt. And then he says this, three wills. There are three wills that he says, I will do. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will go down with Egypt with you. 
and I will surely bring you back again. I will make you a great nation. This was a promise that was being repeated. In fact, he had told Jacob earlier that your, your people will be like the dust on the earth. I'm going to make you a great nation. And when we start to understand what has unfolded here, we understand that this story is not so much about Joseph saving lives from a famine. This story is about God building a nation so that lives would be saved for eternity. God can take care of famines like that, right? What's God got to do to make it famine stop? Send rain, right? What's he got to do? God, God, could, God didn't need to go through all of this just because of a famine. God could say, hey, rain, and it would rain, and it wouldn't stop until God said, hey, stop. <laughs> or if there was no food and nothing, all God would have to do is what he did later. He could send some quail and some manna, and, and he could make rock, water come out of a rock. Jacob didn't need any of this to survive. God could take care of that. But God was in the business of preparing a people. God was in the business of building a nation and this nation could not be built where they were. We had problems. You're going to build a nation. He promised Jacob, I'm going to do it through you. First of all, you got brothers that are fighting. <laughs> they can't get along. And then I said earlier that we were going to talk about chapter 38 a little bit. We don't have much time. But if you go read chapter 38, which is stuck in the middle of this passage, it's all about Judah. It says that once, Jake, once Joseph was sold down, Judah didn't hang around. He said he went off to Canaan. He went off and made it a, married a Canaanite woman. And he, and he started having children, and they started sinning, and it gets really sorted from there. God says, I need a place where I can get you, isolate you, and build a nation. And so he says, I will take you to Egypt, and I will build a nation there. I'm going to get you a little corner of that country. Remember I said hey, Egyptians did not like Hebrews? Egyptians would not intermarry with Hebrews. Egyptians didn't want anything to do with Hebrews. So he said, I can get you in that little corner of that country. And I can start to build the people that I need. So that later, I can bring a law. And religious rituals. And a hope. And eventually, a Messiah. That is going to save the world. It's, it's through this process that the Israelite nation was taken down into Egypt. And they were slaves for many, much of that time after Joseph passed away. It was, a, it was a tough time. It was 400 years where God would take them. And, and Joseph was right. Joseph was right. God sent me here to save lives, but it wasn't just the lives of Jacob's families. It was the lives of you and me. God sent Joseph there so that the Israel, nation of Israel could be built so that eventually his law could be given. So eventually, Jesus Christ would come through the line. In fact, as you look in Genesis chapter, or Matthew chapter 1, you look at the lineage of Jesus. You see it starts with Abraham. It goes to Isaac. Then it goes to Jacob. And then it doesn't go to Joseph. It goes to Judah. Judah 
the one who stood up and said, take me instead. I will give my life for my brother's life. The same Judah who years ago, 22 years before that, had said, had said hey, let's sell Joseph into slavery. And through the line of Judah comes the Messiah for all time. So God has a work to do. God has a work to do in the life of Jacob. And this was all about Jacob from the beginning. It was all about his lineage. It was all about the covenant that God had made with him. And God said, I will do it. And you see the three I wills. I will. I will. And I'm going to make you a great nation. That's why. See, Joseph thought, I'm here to save a few people from starving. And God says, no, no, no. I have a purpose you don't even understand yet. It's a purpose greater than that. I will make you a great nation. I will go down to Egypt with you. God is with me. God is with you. And I will surely bring you back again. Jacob came back after his death. They carried him home to be buried. It was 400 plus years until his people would come back. Sometimes it's slow in God's work, in our time. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about the forgiveness and how Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer forgiveness. So you know what else he prayed in the Lord's Prayer? It's in Matthew chapter 6. It says this, Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. A sovereign God, a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring, that God is at work to do his will. He said, I will. I will bring you out. I will. There goes my notes. Thank you. That tape is worthless. <laughs> Jerry Bridges, an author and speaker, he worked with the Navigators. I think Jerry passed away just a couple years ago. He says this, God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. He's infinite in wisdom. He's perfect in love. He's sovereign. Last week, Pastor Eric put up on the screen a a little saying that said this, God is the only ultimate power that wants our ultimate good. Do you remember that? God is the only ultimate power that wants our ultimate good. And Bridges says that in his wisdom, he knows what's best for us. And he always wills what's best for us. What is God's ultimate good for us? What's God's ultimate good for you? I would suggest that God's ultimate good for you, God's ultimate good for me, is the same as it was for Jacob and for Joseph and for his brothers. Ultimately, it was to be saved. God's ultimate good is to step down for us and to rescue us out of the mess we're in. And then God's ultimate good beyond that is for us to join him in the work he's doing. Think about it. Joseph, like many of us maybe, lied about, treated wrongly, put in prison, whatever you might have happened to you. But just Things have not gone right in your life. But yet God reached down and saved Joseph. 
he saved Joseph. And Joseph joined him in the work that needed to be done to save the world. His brothers, his brothers, they were nasty people who did wrong to others. Maybe some of us are like that. Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've harmed somebody. Maybe, maybe and there's something in your life that says, you know, I've, I've treated somebody wrong. I've, I've, I've not been what I need to be. God saved the brothers. In fact, he didn't just save the brothers. Those brothers became the tribes of Israel. And one of those brothers, the brother who said, let's sell Joseph, was the brother who the lineage of Jesus Christ would come from. How about Jacob? He had his heart broken. Some of us have had our heart broken. Jacob, Jacob for years, 22 years, thought his, young, his favorite son was dead. Heartbroken. But God saved Jacob. He says, go, I will be with you. I'll be with you. An old-time commentator, his name's Matthew Henry, in writing on G- Genesis, he says this, whatever low and dark valley we are called into at any time, we may be confident if God goes down with us into it that he will surely bring us up again. If he goes with us down into death, he will surely bring us up again to glory. Whatever it is, whatever it is that God has called us to, whatever it is God is leading us to, his, his ultimate goal for us is life new life in Christ. It was the why he sent Joseph there so he could get the Israelite people so that there would be a lineage, so that there would be a, a context for when the Messiah came, that we could understand and we could give our lives to him. Jesus Christ came through the lineage of Judah to save us. And there's no greater call, no greater ultimate purpose for God for you is that you know him as Lord and Savior. And then to join him in the work he's doing. It's exciting to be a part of the church. It had to be exciting to be part. We don't know much of what happened the rest of Joseph's life. Well, we know his dad lived there for about 17 years. Joseph would have been at that point then about 56. And he lived to 110. We really don't know much more about anything what happened in Joseph's life. We just know that he joined God in what he was doing. Even when he didn't know what God was doing. Even when it was painful. Even when it seemed like he was going down, believing that God would bring him up again. Jacob went down to Israel, or excuse me, Egypt, knowing that God would bring him up again. Whatever you're going through, the difficulties, God will bring you up so that you can have life. Not so you can be rich, not so you can be healthy, not so that you can have more toys to play with, but to give you life, eternal life. Let's stand together. He, uh, Joseph has one more crisis moment for at least his brothers. It's when they, uh, their dad dies and they realize, uh uh-oh, it might've just been dad that Joseph was keeping us alive. He might have just been toying with us until dad was gone. Joseph says this when he's talking to them after that. Chapter 50 of Genesis. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now done, the saving 
of many lives. You intended to harm me. I could hear Jesus saying the same thing. <laughs> you intended to harm me. You intended to kill me, didn't you? You did. Ah, but it was done to save many, many lives. Uh, this morning, the altars are open. You can pray there in your seats. We're going to sing this part of this new song we learned. I loved it. Great is your faithfulness. But if God's speaking to you, the ultimate goal, the ultimate reason that he came was the same reason that he went and sent Joseph and Jacob to Egypt. It's to save lives. It's to save your life. It's to give you eternal life. That's the ultimate goal. And then to join him. If you want to come pray, we'll pray with you. If you want to pray there in your seat. If you want to just sing and worship and give thanks to God who has saved you, Let's do that together. But Seth, would you just lead us in worship? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me yet. Oh, we've seen you our declaration. intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of lives. 
whatever you're going through. You know, we don't see the big picture all the time. We don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And sometimes that causes us not to trust like we should. But God has your ultimate good in his heart and his mind. It's your ultimate goal, good, that he's working for. Your ultimate good is to come to know him. To come to know him and then to serve him. Uh, Pastor Eric and I will be up here if you want to come talk with us. If you say, I want to come talk about this knowing Christ, we're here. Um, You know what? If you go to the uh, reception for Pastor Tom and Esther and you ask Pastor Tom or Esther, either one, what is this about knowing Christ? Uh, They'll stop everything and they'll talk to you. This is that important. It's that important that God would go to these extremes to accomplish his will because he said, I will. I will build a nation. I will be with you in Egypt and I'll bring you out again. When we call upon God, we will be saved. When we call on his name, he's got all kind of good things for us. Let's pray. Lord, go with us this week. Help us to understand what it means to know you, to love you, to serve you. And Lord, what you've gone through to provide for us. Lord, help us when we think we know it all and we really don't have no clue what you're doing. Lord, help us to understand that you are God and we're not. You run things. And Lord, we... uh, We sit back and we're the beneficiaries of what you're doing. So God, go with us this week and help us to have maybe a a new focus, a new dream, a new vision because of the story of Joseph that we've been over the last six weeks. Lord, help us to have a new appreciation for your sovereignty and Lord, how you work and it's always for our good. And thank you, Lord, that we can serve you, love you, worship you. And we do so with all of our heart. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go serve the Lord. Have a good week.